0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. We're back. Joining me in studio is Jason Rosenbaum and Joe Manis. and my state senator, actually.
1: Joe Kevening. And my state senator as well. He was at the uh, St. Louis Hills Christmas tree lighting on Sunday wearing a very heavy coat And, and I wasn't wearing a very heavy coat, so he was a much smarter
0: man than I was. I saw some pictures of it. It looked pretty nice. It was. It was a nice event. It, yeah. it, it always is. It always is. Yes, and you are the state senator, and you are actually the Senate Minority Leader.
2: Yes, just recently I won re-election uh, November the the fifth, the and uh, my caucus elected me Minority Leader last week.
3: Now your district takes in what roughly half the city of St. Louis.
2: Yeah, roughly half. I t- everything in the city of St. Louis west of Kings Highway. I go from Riverview and two seventy down to. 55 and River to I take the north side of Afton, the south side of Clayton, Richmond Heights, and Brentwood.
1: And so he is actually the first minority leader from the St. Louis area since my, my good friend Maida Coleman was minority leader back in the mid-2000s. For the last couple of terms, it was Victor Callahan in Independence and Joey Justice in Kansas City. There was a a Western dominance on that office, and now it's been kind of taken back to the St. Louis side. Um, but, tell you know, you're going to be a minority leader probably officially in January. What, you, what is kind of your official duties in that job and and what's kind of your, your expectations about how the next couple of years will go?
2: Well, and I've already started some of the duties. Um, the minority leader actually deals with the leadership of the majority party. Um, try to plan an agenda what's important for them what's important for us to try to try to keep the flow of work going and along with that comes uh, committee assignments working within your own caucus um, you know trying to appease now I shouldn't say appease trying to address all of the issues that your own caucus members are are dealing with so you're not so much concerned on your own legislation but you're you're trying to make sure that your own caucus members are getting the stuff that they need to pass what's important to them.
1: Now, without getting too inside baseball here, and although by, by saying that, I am about to get a little Well, listen, our baseball. listeners
3: are inside baseball, so let's, S- let's, so let's, let's of, be real. <laughs> when we had you
1: on the show last year, I kind of noted that you were kind of known in the Senate for not necessarily being a bomb thrower or a filibusterer, but actually at carrying legislation that was important to the city of St. Louis. It didn't mean that you were like super conservative, per se. In fact, I think you're one of the few Democrats who has not voted to override Nixon on a lot of vetoes. But you have a reputation of of being more collaborative than, you know, incendiary, per se. How is that reputation going to kind of play into being minority leader? And would that make your caucus more effective that you have somebody who is going to try to work with the other party as opposed to just criticizing them all the time?
2: Well, and that's... That's the feeling of. I was encouraged to run for minority leader from a lot of people within the building, and part of the reason that I was encouraged because, to quote, I'm to quote them, I'm even keeled. I don't get really upset. I don't get really emotional. I, I'm more concerned about the process <clears throat> than the outcome. So, with that, it, it, I mean we are the super minority. We're outnumbered twenty five to nine. Um, if we Take on an incendiary attitude, we're going to lose every fight. So the negoti—that's where the negotiation comes in.
1: Yeah, and because one of the things that I thought was notable with your soon-to-be uh, predecessor, Julie Justice, and I probably mentioned this too many times in articles that—that w- w- that was probably overstating this fact. But when she got into the Senate, I think that she was a more combative senator than when she left. When she left, she had a very good reputation of being collaborative and working with Republicans to pass major legislation such as the criminal code. Do you think you'll be similar in that respect? Or do you think that you'll have some differences from, from Senator justice?
2: Um, we're going to have the same personality um, and, and the same personality as Victor Callahan before her. Um, we don't, uh, that's just the way that we approach the job. That's what, and Victor actually was one of the people that encouraged me to run. Mm. Um, that's, my personality is 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 the fit for the job right now. There could be a time down the road where we need somebody incendiary, and it's important to have those kind of personalities on your bench. Um, I may not have to be the one to have to throw the bomb, but I've got people in my caucus that can do it very well
3: now with the, you mentioned how the Democrats are so heavily outnumbered with nine, they would need to double their size in order to take the majority. I I mean do you foresee that happening in the next 20, 20 years even? I mean is are, there, are the Democrats going to be the the permanent minority in the state senate for time immemorial?
2: I don't I won't say that they're the permanent uh minority. Um along with being a minority uh the floor leader, I'm also chairman of the Democratic uh campaign committee. Correct. So and we've already had meetings about this. Um you know, we'll be active in probably four or five races throughout the state in 2016. Uh, in 2016, yeah, I will. I will be elated if we pick up two seats. Yeah,
1: I think they have a better chance this year because, especially when Kurt Schaefer's term limited, the expectation is Stephen Weber is going to be the Democratic nominee. And I've said for a long time he would be a, a extremely strong candidate for that seat.
3: And Weber is a Democrat and Schaefer is Republican.
1: And the um, that's one opportunity. The, the flip side, though, is if, if your colleague Scott Sifton of Afton follows through with his attorney general bid, that's a seat you're going to have to defend. And that could be a very competitive seat for the Republicans to take off. And you may have a similar scenario to this year where you won a Republican seat. But you lost, I think, two, so it kind of canceled each other off, out. Is that kind of some of the discussions you're having as well?
2: Well, yes. And uh, Scott Ziften's seat's going to be tough to defend, whether Scott's in it or not. Yeah, that's going to be a very expensive campaign yeah. for both sides. Um, and there are a couple throughout the state. More and more of the of of the urban areas are I mean are Democratic, and some of the bigger rural areas are starting to lean that way. But I'll be honest with you, Jefferson County was a big drawback for us.
1: Yeah, but yeah that was probably, I mean, we, we, we talked on the show about Jill Shoup winning her race, which was definitely a big victory for, for people in St. Louis County. But,
3: for the Democrats.
1: But now Jefferson County is completely, almost completely wiped out for the Democrats, which is kind of stunning because almost six years ago was the opposite. I mean, what's it going to take for the Democrats to start winning in Senate districts, not only like Jefferson County, but a north northern missouri southeast missouri places where they used to have a foothold
2: we the democratic party in my opinion needs to do a better job getting their message out we need to we need to emphasize what we stand for and um, why it's such a good thing that we do it Um, you know the mantra now is lower taxes and smaller government um, and that's not what the democratic party stands for but you know that seems to be until these services start getting cut and people realize what smaller government and lower taxes mean, um that's I think that's the opportunity for the Democratic Party.
3: Why Parliament. do Democrat because this was true, frankly, on a national level, where uh Democrats seemed to be running away from, you know, key things. So they were like trying to run away from the president. I mean, talking about the US Senate now. Right. But but like in Missouri, it wasn't like you had that many Democrats saying, "Well, look, we need these services." I mean, Shoup was one of the Shoup few did
1: it, but Rorta and Schieffer basically, you know, did the exact opposite. And
3: but- so, my question is: when you look, I mean, you look around the country that Democrats are doing that, they don't seem to be too successful doing that.
2: I why, couldn't agree with you more.
3: Why do they keep? I mean, it's kind of like you know hitting this, you know, I mean, whipping the same horse and he ain't going to go anywhere.
2: I couldn't agree with you more. We're Some of our office holders are running away from the president. Here we got the stock market at all-time highs. We've got an employment low. we got gas below $3 a gallon. We ought to be elated with this, and we let the majority party dictate the message, and and we cave into it. Um, why? I don't have a good – I don't know the reason why. Um, it's – I don't know why people are are afraid to stand up for – or what their party believes in. So looking forward to the session, have you
0: already met with members of your caucus to talk about priorities and whatnot?
2: Uh, we are going to caucus in Columbia on January the 8th and 9th. So mm-hmm. that will be the first formal caucus. Sure. Um, yes, I've had conversations with everybody. I spent the last two days in Jefferson City training the new members and some of my fellow caucus members were in that training also.
0: So what does it look like will be priorities for for the Democrats this year? Is it just mostly going to be playing defense or are there a couple of things that you think you can work together with Republicans on?
2: Well, I think the major issue is going to be um the Medicaid expansion and the Republican leadership's already stated that that's a non-starter. Yeah, right. So, you know, we're still going to have that discussion i think there's going to be a lot of discussion on the on the events and the uh, and the possible resolutions of some of the things that uh, bubbled up to the surface out in ferguson mm-hmm. and uh, that 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 could take up the entire session that yeah. could easily um that could draw in from preschool to managing municipal courts to managing police departments to consolidation of municipalities to city reentering the county that that one issue there could is just that's just got so many fingers on it I,
0: you brought up municipal court reform have you read senator schmidt's bill on that yet or do you have any thoughts about about that issue
2: um i have not read his bill yet okay um i have i i talked to uh, senator ron richard about it yesterday um i th- what i know about it i heard on the radio on the way to the capitol on tuesday sure um, and th- he just filed a bill on Monday, so right.
1: it would lower the threshold, the Max Creek law of threshold from thirty to ten percent, which I think would be a pretty huge deal for basically every city in the state. And I wonder, um, is that going to be something that like the Missouri Municipal League is going to fight tooth and nail on, just because they may see unintended consequences on cities that may not be doing anything
2: wrong? I would expect some pushback from from the Municipal League. Um, now, his bill's at ten percent. Currently, we're at thirty percent. Is t- uh, we're going to work on a number. We're going to get to a number. I don't know if that's going to appease anybody or not. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect ten percent to be brought up and passed. What you know. So,
3: do you think maybe, maybe maybe you might end up with maybe twenty? Or
2: I would. There was a bill last year to bring it down to twenty-five. Right, and we ended up taking thirty. So with the events out in Ferguson, Senator Schmidt probably came in at 10 to start the negotiation, and we'll go from 30 down to 20 or one of the
1: unintended consequences that I thought about is if you drop the number to 10, some of the municipalities with red light cameras, for example, I wonder if they reconsider using them since they may not be able to keep basically any of that revenue anymore. Well, that
3: might be an ulterior motive to try to –
1: yeah. Is that kind of like one of the consequences of something like that, that it may actually indirectly kill red light cameras in this state, basically?
2: I don't know if that's going to happen. But as I, as, I, as I was thinking about this last night, if if we knock it down to 10, this is going to force the conversation of do we want to increase taxes to pay for services? Mm-hmm. There, there's not going to be any stealth way to to create revenue and fund your services for instance in a lot of the rural districts they're completely against raising the income tax or raising their the the, the rural farmland last year was the first year that it was reassessed since 1996 hmm. um but there are so revenue starved to pave their rock roads they're special they're pa- passing special rock road taxes just for that purpose.
1: Is that a good thing, though? Do you think it's good to start having that conversation about taxing things other than using, you know, basically court fine revenue as revenue?
2: Well, I think that's what's going to—I I think that's the ultimate outcome.
3: What about the gas tax? I mean, Missouri has one of the lowest gas taxes in the country. And, of course, Chris Koster, the attorney general who's running for governor in 2016, has already uh, announced that he would support increasing the tobacco tax. Is that something that, that you think the Senate might even discuss?
2: I think, well, two things. I think, yes, I think we could discuss the cigarette tax. I think there's an appetite for that, not only in the General Assembly. I think the industry will will come to the table and discuss an increase in the cigarette tax. Really? Why? um, Because they realize it's got to go someplace. There's a lot of pressure of being the lowest cigarette tax in the country. And if if it gets to a point where we have to unilaterally do it, it's going to be much greater than what they would like, and they don't want to have to fight it again. Yeah. So don't come up with a compromise. What, oh, what,
3: what, what, what about the gas tax? Gas tax,
2: what? I would – the conversation with the gas tax is going to be, what are you going to do with the money? And the ga- we're not going to be able to fund our roads by increasing the gas tax. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to need more than that. So – Again, a low gas tax, yes, I think there's room. Me being an urban dweller, I'm fine raising the gas tax. I would support it. Um, there's, there's going to be some pushback out in the rural areas where people drive more. Um, but we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to raise revenue. It's just a matter of how we're going now,
1: to do it. Now, let's kind of get, shift gears back to the Ferguson fallout for a second. Yeah. Um in an alternate universe, we would be maybe discussing the impending special session that Governor Nixon said he was going to call on Friday about the National Guard. And that ended up not happening because I guess he agreed with an alternative interpretation of of funding from the budget chairman. But I feel, and I don't express my feelings that much, but I do really feel the reason maybe an ulterior motive that why he canceled it is because a special session would have been essentially a giant criticism party from both members of both sides of the aisle of Nixon's performance of Ferguson. Now as the impending minority leader, do you think that the governor has lost a lot of respect of not only Republicans but also of your own party oh, after 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 the last few weeks?
2: Um, the short answer is yes. Um, I think the, the governor has drawn a lot of criticism from both parties, um, especially the the representatives and the senators that represent Ferguson and the surrounding areas up there. Um, and quite frankly, from across the state, the more I think about it, uh, you know, he's being criticized for slow being slow to react. Um, you know, that's a tough spot to be in.
1: I know that they've called for hearings about why the National Guard wasn't in Ferguson that night. I know some people on Twitter have compared it to like Benghazi and like Republicans, you know, conspiracy theories. But do you think that's like a, a reasonable question for the legislature to ask why the National Guard wasn't there on on last Monday night to protect those businesses? And do you think that legislative hearings
2: are warranted there? Well, two things. Let me back up from what you said. Sure. we have the th- That committee has just had their committee members appointed. Mm-hmm. There are no scheduled hearings yet. Yeah. Okay? Now, I think the situation of Ferguson merits a closer look. Now, if it turns into finger-pointing at the governor or finger-pointing at somebody else, I'm not sure that's constructive. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to draw the issue out and maybe discuss a better way to handle it What could have happened? What should have happened? You know, maybe it's completely justified that the National Guard wasn't in there. It's very possible.
1: It's very possible. I know that the governor responded to the post-dispatch that, you know, it wasn't safe for police officers to be there that night and they had to basically leave because there was gunfire. That's completely a reasonable, you know, explanation. But I think a lot of people, especially in Ferguson, especially the business owners there,
2: want an answer. So – I think they're entitled to an answer.
3: Yeah. I mean, is there any thought about – I mean, the the governor, by most of the counts that I've talked to even before this, had been focusing a lot on how many National Guard troops he was going to be needing and where he was going to be deploying them and all that um, for weeks before the event. Um, did he talk to you or any other um, – Legislators from the area—I mean, granted, you're from the city—but the city has had some offshoot protests, so that have had to deal with. Um, why? I mean, I, I know we talked about you know not being safe for the police officers, but if there had been a lot of of uh, uh, National Guard troops like there were Tuesday night, where they you know swamped the area and then it kind of tamped down things, why do you think that? didn 't happen I mean, were you involved in any of the discussions or at least any any of the informa- information sharing that went on the hours before the announcement?
2: no no uh, all of that came as a surprise to me also. Um, I met with the governor um, and um, we we touched on Ferguson uh the day that I was elected minority leader
3: so this was what how many days before roughly a week before.
1: It uh, might have been two weeks before. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, you were elected minority leader, what, two days after the election?
2: I was on the 6th, I think. Yeah, I was so going, this was okay. this was
1: a yep. few weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, continue.
3: Yeah, continue. So what did the governor tell you?
2: Um, You know, again, the governor wants to have the resources to help the area. He will – He, you know, I really don't remember what he uh, – I really don't remember what he said about the specific – yeah. Instance. Uh, I don't
1: think that was a real conversation on on, Jan- on November sixth, but I do know because he was in the studio two days ago that the mayor of Ferguson, James Knowles, and also the mayor of Delwood, Reggie Jones, didn't have a lot of communication with the governor. Like while a lot of the stuff was going on, I'm sure. I, I wonder if Mayor Slay was having that same problem, given that there was disturbances in the city as well. So. I don't know if you've heard anything about
2: that, but I have not talked to the mayor about it. Um, I don't know his interaction with the governor. I know the governor came to town a couple of times prior to the announcement, and I know he met with the mayor a couple of times. But I I wasn't involved. In Mayor that. Slay, you mean? Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Because Slay. Yeah, Slay did ask for four hundred National Guard troops, and from everything I've heard, he actually got them. Yeah,
1: I mean, I saw but, I, I saw Humvees at the Target in Hampton and and Chippewa. But so. that
3: that means if there was only seven hundred deployed region wide on Monday night, it means that there was only three hundred out in the county.
2: Yeah. Well, and and quite frankly, you don't know if the county didn't ask for them.
3: Well, that well, that's what I want to know. I mean, yeah, if it, if I mean.
2: I don't know the answer to that. I know, I would agree with you. The mayor, the mayor of St. Louis City, asked for it, and he got him.
3: And he made clear. I mean, I had talked to Slay, you know, like a couple of days before, and wrote about it because he was very upfront that he had asked for four hundred. Yep. And apparently, he got him.
1: Now, now, kind of shifting a little back to policy. One thing I've noticed when we've had guests on this show is, you know, they're very eager to jump on municipal court reform because I think it's kind of. I don't want to say it's easy because I do think that there is pushback from that, from from cities and the municipal league. But I think it's something that I think both Republicans and Democrats agree needs to be looked at. What about some of the other issues you mentioned, like policing or municipal consolidation or city reentry, which have always generated a lot more controversy? and and have been a little bit more intractable to do before Ferguson. Is it going to have more momentum afterward or do you think it, some of the same pushback is going to happen again?
2: I think I think there's there's going to be some pushback on every one of those issues. Uh, now, I think there is more of a a stimulus to accomplish something, to address the issues in Ferguson. Wh- which one of those issues is going to be come front and center or which two of those issues are going to come front and center? you know that debate needs to be had um
3: are there any particular things that that you hope to push for
2: well right now i don't have any legislation pending other than um a a, a preschool fix for uh, uh for the Normandy school district um but i uh when you say preschool fix what do, what do you mean by that um it it, uh, it allows uh some of the students in Normandy currently uh, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education doesn't. We passed a preschool bill last year. Mm-hmm. It, it, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education says it doesn't apply to charter schools or for uh, uh, unaccredited. It, it applies to unaccredited, but okay. but normally has a has a like it's like hybrid accreditation yeah exactly so it's going to apply to normandy we're trying to get them into the preschool program
1: uh, even though that's a thorny issue i feel like that's something that may have a lot of momentum given that we want people in the normandy school district to go to preschool i would assume well
2: and and quite frankly i think that's part of the issue in ferguson um you know we've got to get these kids educated so they can get quality jobs so we don't have these issues um and in my own mind it starts in preschool yeah
1: so let's shift to your Neck of the woods in St. Louis City, I think the last time we had you on, we were peppering you with questions about whether you were going to uh, file a bill to eliminate license collector that Now that push seems to have lost steam, but now there is a push to basically make recorder of deeds unelected, which I think is going on in a city level, not a state legislative level.
3: But the state would have to state legislature would have to approve that.
1: No.
2: I don't they think wouldn't? they do. No, it'll be it'll be a charter amendment in the city. Yeah. Okay.
3: okay. My
1: my question is, you know, as a city resident, somebody who's been in city politics for a while and somebody who's handled bills that eliminated some city offices before. Um, do you kind of see the city going on this road where they start consolidating some of these city offices and making them kind of under the umbrella of the mayor and if so, is that a good thing, or is that giving the mayor too much power over government and not having enough checks and balances over it?
2: Um, it do, yes, I do think there is a trend to have a discussion to to eliminate some of these uh, city offices being elected. Um, now, is it do do they all report to the mayor? That's a discussion we need to have. Do, uh, maybe do that? Do they report to the courts? That's another one. Right. Does the license collector report to the collector revenue? That's another one. Yeah. Um, some of these things I think we, people ought to be voting on. Mm-hmm. Um, they shouldn't. So, you know, we we need to sit down, like everything else, we need to think this thing all the way through before we go all the way into it. Now, you're right. I did make the public administrator a appointed position because, quite frankly, I don't think most of the voters know what a public administrator is. I think that does. was right. l- less
1: controversial Correct. than most because that was probably one of the when we voted on that and by we I mean city voters, we probably didn't know what that office did. And then when we found out what that office did, and I know that there are some public administrators that are elected in other counties. It, it you have to question why that's an elected office, considering that involves caring for like indigent and mentally ill people, essentially, if I'm not mistaken. That's,
2: so that's correct. And it and the public administrator represents those mentally ill indigent people in the probate court. Yeah. um, And quite frankly, when this current public administrator was up for election, I think it was two years ago, we had somebody file against him who wasn't even an attorney. Huh. So it just didn't make sense to keep it around.
1: But let's – to the recorder of deeds push, which again is going to be a city issue, not a legislative issue, (laughs) one thing that I've noticed – in that situation is there wasn't a lot of momentum to make that unelected until after Sharon Quigley Carpenter became less in vogue among the mayor and his political allies. I don't see the mayor calling for Gregory FX Daly's job to be unelected because he's like a political ally of his. Do you think that this push for a recorder of deeds is more about like politics as opposed to policy? Or do you think that there may be you know good policy reasons for that office not to be elected anymore, given that it's largely administrative, essentially.
2: Well, I th- I agree with both of those comments. Um, I would say that uh, the situation with Sharon Quigley Carpenter brought this to the forefront, um, and people realize that it's administrative office, and m- people are starting to question whether it should be an elected office. So does the mayor help to to stimulate that conversation in the current circumstance? Yes, he did. Um, but it's got everybody front, you know, thinking, well, you know, why are we electing this person anyway? Um, yeah. Being a recorder of deeds, you know. Are
3: it's, you looking at how, what, what's interesting is in St. Louis County, you only have a few countywide. Three. Yeah, correct. Three. Now, three. And that's because. It used to be two. It used to be two. The And what's interesting is yeah. that the Republicans are the ones who pushed to make the assessor an elective office several years ago. And. Frankly, the charter in the county was in effect drafted by Republicans uh, decades ago uh, when the county was a Republican stronghold. So it's intriguing that in the county, most of these offices that in the city are elected are appointed. I mean, is that something that you that some advocates are looking at, saying, "Well, maybe the city charter needs to be reflective"? I mean, more in line with the county charter where so many more of these offices are appointed, not elected.
2: Well, I think people – there are people that are comparing the operation of the city with the operation of the county, and those questions are being asked. Now, the pro, the question that 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 we have to come up with – or the answer we have to come up with, if we want to go in that direction, how do we want to do it? Um, you know, do, do we need a senator or, or a representative – pushing push a a, uh, a bill through the General Assembly that makes one or more or two or three or four of them appointed, or do we put it to a vote of the people and have them decide whether they want them uh, elected or appointed? Now, it hasn't been that long ago where we did do that uh, with uh, amendments A, B, C, D.
3: Yeah, and, the, and those got and defeated. Those, yeah, those, those got yeah, defeated pretty those. handily. Yeah, I, got, I covered those. So we'll have to see.
2: I'll
0: close this out here. You can follow me on Twitter at C.S. McDaniel. Jason, you can be followed on Twitter. Jay Rosenbaum. And Joe?
3: At Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S.
0: And
2: Senator? At Joe Keveny. J-O-E-K-E-A-V-E-N-Y.
0: It's hard to spell. It is. We'll be back next week. Until then, so long.